Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Mount Olive Lutheran Church. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Our Holy Gospel is from the 14th chapter of Luke, beginning at verse 1. Glory to you, O Lord. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When he, Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to join me in praying the Holy Spirit prayer this morning in our time of meditation together. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit who instructs the hearts of the faithful, Grant that by that same Holy Spirit we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in your consolations. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. My very first pastoral call, long time ago now, 36 years ago I believe, my first pastoral call was to Gracious Savior Lutheran Church in Detroit, Michigan. It was on the Lodge Freeway. I don't know if you, anybody knows anything about Detroit, but the Lodge Freeway was Highway 10. And it was, a, it was a sunken highway in the sense that they built the highway down and then they had walls and then the street level was up here. So when you entered onto the freeway, you went down and you were, when you were driving on the freeway, you were driving with these big, huge concrete walls around you. And you couldn't see any of the houses. Maybe you could see a church steeple once in a while. We were one of those fringe churches. Fringe in the sense that we were in the city, but almost outside of the city. Because the city limits of Detroit was Eight Mile Road. And... Our church was located between seven and eight mile road. The congregation that I served was an all black congregation. 
The only white members of the church was my wife, myself, and two other members. Four white people were in that church, the rest of the congregation, and the, con- and the congregation was in an all-black, con- all-neighborhood. I, I lived in an all-black neighborhood. I, I, I couldn't even tell you to this day where the nearest Caucasian white person lived. For the most part, our church was a middle-class church with middle-class members, people who worked in the automotive industry, people who were school teachers, people who were lawyers, people who, were, people who worked in the city, uh, all different types of professional people in a variety of ways. And we were very much a middle-class Lutheran congregation in Detroit, Michigan. There was also in Detroit this coalition, this coalition of ecumenical churches, which our church was not yet a part of, but I was very much interested in having us become a part of this ecumenical group of churches in the city of Detroit who were attempting to do something about people experiencing homelessness, especially in the wintertime. Because wintertime in Detroit can be brutal. Yeah, not quite as bad as South Dakota or North Dakota, but still, winter in Detroit can be pretty brutal. And these churches, multiple number of churches, they had coalesced to commit to providing housing for about 50 homeless people in their own church facilities for one week for one week during the winter months. Now, some of the churches that were really gung-ho about providing this kind of uh, assistance, they provided more than one week. But the, the, the idea was is that all of these churches combined, nobody would have to bear the brunt of the load. You know, that this church would take a week, and then that church would take a week, and that church would take... You get the, you get the gist. Well, we were not yet a part of this coalition of churches, But I presented this idea to our church council. And I can tell you without a doubt, it was met with significant resistance and hesitancy and fear and skepticism. And yet I kept being persistent. I kept prodding, I kept nurturing, I kept encouraging the church council that we really have to do this and be a part of this coalition of churches. It was the right thing to do. It's something that Jesus would challenge us and invite us to do. What did he say in Luke 14, 13? When you host someone, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Well, after several months, after several months, reluctantly, apprehensively, our church council agreed that we would do this. And so we began the process of organizing. We got our scheduled week, and we started organizing, and we started planning. And, of course, one of the things that we did during that week when we housed these 50 people in the basement of our sanctuary in our fellowship hall is that we provided them with an evening meal which means that we had to have people bring food and cook food and you know all that stuff that had to do with food preparation you know we all know what that's about here 
And we also provided them with a breakfast every day before we sent them on their way for the day. When the week was concluded, and we had finished hosting this group of homeless people, something very interesting happened in our church. There was a whole new attitude. There was a whole new perspective from the membership of the church. Because as they spent that time with these 50 homeless people throughout that week, those people became our guests. They became human beings to us. They became people that we got to know. We had conversations with them. We got to know their stories. We got to know something about how it got to the point where they were actually experiencing homelessness. And we began to treat these people with dignity and we provided hospitality to them. And we began to realize that they had a shared humanity with us. And yet they had absolutely nothing, they had nothing to repay us with other than simply their gratitude and their thanks. And after that week, a number of people came up to me numerous times in the weeks, ahead, the weeks later on and said that that was one of the most meaningful things that that church had ever done. Someday I'd like to go to Africa I've never been to Africa. I've, 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 had, I've had a few opportunities to possibly go earlier in my life, but I did not go. I know several people who have gone to Africa on mission trips and other church-sponsored exchange efforts. And I can tell you from their stories that come back from Africa, many who go, they come back with a changed and renewed perspective. They come back with a changed and renewed perspective, especially about their understanding of time and hospitality and what it means to be in relationship with people. Because I don't know if you know anything about the African culture, but there's not a concept of time there. You know, church might be scheduled to start at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday, but if church starts at 11.30, you're doing good. And they don't, they don't just come to church and... Like, we're going, to be out, we're going to be in and out of here in 50 minutes today. There's no such thing as a 50-minute worship service in Africa. They're there for four or five hours, and they sing hymn after hymn and song after song, and the preacher gets up, and he preaches for probably an hour. You know? And then they sing some more, and they dance. One of my pastor friends from Minnesota, he spent an extended sabbatical in Africa, and he was very moved by his experience and his level of gratitude and humility that was impacted by his experience there. And when he came back to his congregation and he started sharing some of his experiences and some of his new perspectives on life and how he lived in Africa, it was as if the congregation thought he was speak he felt as if he was talking to a foreign people because they, nobody in the congregation could grasp or understand what he was talking about. And he was very, he was very, uh, he was, uh, very disturbed by the fact that his congregation couldn't, couldn't grasp what he had seen and experienced or experienced and wanted to bring back some of these new 
ideas of ways of looking at life and how to live life more simply. Another person that I know, his name is Dan Clendenin. He wrote of his experience while he was in the country of Uganda. Uganda is on the eastern side of Africa. If you look at the continent of Africa, you know over here on the eastern side, uh, there's this horn. They call it the Horn of Africa that comes out over there by the Sudan and Somalia and up in that area. He was in Uganda in 2004 and he said it was a powerful experience about Luke's gospel that he experienced, this parable. He says in the village, in a village called Tororo, he has a group of 30 people that was, he was with and they were hosted by two Christians while they were there one day. And he said between these two Christians, they lived all four of those people that Jesus talks about in Luke 14, 13. Because they were both poor, one of them was blind, and the other one was crippled and lame. But he said, nonetheless, they sang to us rich white Westerners, newly composed songs of appreciation, complete, he says, with our individual names inserted into the lyrics. He says they threw the best party with the best food that they had. And he further reflected, he said, for them, food was a metaphor not of power or envy or social honor, but rather of joyful celebration of the God who exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. As I reflected on what that must have been like for him and the other 29 people in his group, to be hosted by and to be blessed by and fed by two individuals who were poor, blind, crippled, and lame. It could have been nothing, anything other than a humbling experience. One of the things that I have observed in life, I don't know if it's true for you, but one of the things that I have experienced in life is that people who experience or live through a certain kind of hardship whether it be physical, emo emotional, economic, social, mental, people who have experienced or lived through some form of addiction or disease, or in some cases, even abuse. The thing that I have found to be true amongst many of them is that those people, because of the experiences that they've gone through, they have a greater ability and they have a gift to be more compassionate and to walk alongside of and accompany others who are facing some of the same hardships, some of the same struggles that they themselves are encountering. I think there is something to be said about a shared experience that connects us to one another. And I think, as I, think, as I reflect back on that experience that we had in Detroit of hosting those 50 homeless people, there was something about that shared experience of hosting them and providing hospitality to them and, and getting to know them and finding them to be human beings that are struggling with some of the difficulties in life, that it, it, it caused a shared experience that connected us. I've seen that time and time again, and I know a number of people for whom that is true. I think for those of us, well, for those of us, how can I even say that? 
for, for us who live in the United States. Anybody here doesn't live in the United States? We who live in the United States, this great reversal that Jesus is calling us to live, it's almost virtually impossible for us to do, and it's almost virtually impossible for us to live. Every once in a while, we get just a little smattering. We get a little taste of it here and there. One of my commentary writers says that God is the great reverser of our priorities. God is the great reverser of our hierarchies and our social order and our social values. He says that in our country, there is no end to the game of who is in and who is out in the American culture. Because that's the game that you and I are always playing. And yet God calls us to a different game where everything is reversed. Our priorities, our hierarchies, and our values. One of the things that we see in Jesus and his relationship and in his mission, and maybe Jesus could get away with it because he himself was a homeless person in a certain sense. Maybe he could just get away with it because he didn't have to, he didn't have to deal with all that hierarchical stuff. But one of the things that we see in Jesus and his ministry and his mission is that he was continually engaging, he was in continually encountering and inviting people who were on the fringes of life, people in the margins, who were, he was inviting outcasts of society and the poor and the sick and the socially undesirable. Yeah, Jesus hung out with the riffraff, folks. He truly did. The Bible is full of stories of Jesus hanging out with the riffraff. In light of our gospel passage today and from our table manners perspective, if you want to look at it that way, Jesus is turning the table upside down. Following Jesus is not about quid pro quo, and that's the kind of lives that you and I live. We live quid pro quo lives. I give you something, you give me something in return. I give you something, you give me something in return. That's quid pro quo. That's the way our society operates. And yet Jesus is calling us to a much more profound way of living, and it's hard to do. Because it's not about inviting only the in crowd who will eventually reciprocate and return the favor or the invitation on a later date. Kim and I were over at a couple at a home about two weeks ago for dinner. And as we closed out the evening and as Kim and I were about ready to leave, we said, well, we'll have to have you over to our house sometime. Quid pro quo. Perhaps one way of looking at this great rehearsal this great reversal of table manners that Jesus is inviting us to live into is to, next time we have a party, let's, let's just think about, next time we have a Thanksgiving dinner, let's think about having all the children sit at the head table. And let's consider sitting at the card table in the other room. Because we all know what that was like, don't we, growing up as a kid? Because grandpa and grandma and great-grandma and great-grandpa and mom and dad and all the aunts and uncles, they all got to sit where all the fine china was and where all the golden ladles were and the gravy scoops and all that stuff. And we, the children, 
we got to go in and kind of pick at what we thought was okay for us to eat, and then we got to run off to the card table in the other room. The next time we have a banquet, let's invite the children to go and eat at the table with the fine china. The truth is, is that Jesus is challenging our complacency. He's challenging our value system, our quid pro quo culture, and our way of living. Jesus is reminding us again today that this faith that we say we have, it matters. It matters about how we treat people when it comes to coming to the table and who we choose to welcome has something to do with, says something about our very souls. David Lost reminds us again today about our Lord and Savior, about the ministry. He says that Jesus' whole life is centered on inviting into the presence of God those who are neither expect or deserve such an invitation. And as followers of Jesus, he expects us to do the same. I know I've told you this before. It's a story of experience that I had when I was in Detroit. I mean, not in Detroit, but on my internship while I was in seminary. I was in the inner city congregation of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in the middle of downtown Seattle. And it was, a, it was a melding pot of people because it wasn't just you, all you white middle class, upper middle class people who came to church on Sunday. We had the riffraff in church too, you know. We had the homeless people in church. They had some of the guys, you know, we had a, this, this guy, I can't remember his name, but he was this sh- short guy, chubby, he always wore this kind of over, army overcoat jacket, which was tattered and ragged and dirty and been sleeping on the streets. Didn't hardly have any teeth left. He had one tooth left here in front. And he, always had his, he always had that little bit of chew down here under his lip, you know. And he kind of always talked like that. And yeah, he was just a jolly guy. But he'd come to church all dirty and unshowered for two weeks and smelly. And yet when it came to walking up here to this table, there was no distinction between the rich or the poor. He would come up with his dirty, tattered jacket and pants, smelling like who knows what. And he'd kneel down right next to a lawyer and his wife who were in his Sunday best suit and dress. And it didn't matter because he had a place at the table just along with them. There was no distinction between rich or poor. I can tell you, I, I, I can tell you without a doubt, we had people come into our altar who were prostitutes. I know that for a fact. But that's because that's the kind of church that we were. There was a welcome sign at the door that meant anybody can walk in here because Jesus says you are welcome here. And that is who Jesus is calling us to be. As hard as it is to do, he's calling for that great reversal of life. Amen. Hold us forever in your steadfast love as we say the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace and tell what God has done. Thanks be to God.